0: Rack House Ramblings, episode thirty-seven, take one. All right, this is Rackhouse Ramblings. I'm Jeff, your host, episode number thirty-seven, coming to you live from my world headquarters in Northville, Michigan. Here we go. Uh, this is the 17th episode of my second season. Uh, today's podcast, I'm going to finish up talking about my trip to Montana. Also want to talk uh, a little bit about a great documentary show I saw on A&E called Kistery. Yes, the band KISS. And finally. Um, the last part of the show, I got a treat for you guys. I had a conversation with uh, John Hammerhill. John is a local bladesmith right here in Metro Detroit, and he's a past, uh, Forged in Fire champion. If you've never seen the show, check it out. It's Forged in Fire. Um, he's a great guy and I like, him. I'm sure you guys will like him too. So stay right there. Rackhouse Ramblings is on the air. We'll be right back with the start of the show. All right, I'm back. This is Rackhouse Ramblings. We're going to get right into the bourbon part of uh, the podcast. And um, I'm going to talk about a bottle I've had uh, sitting on. I've been sitting on it for a year, maybe longer. And um, I was waiting for a special occasion to uh, to uh, open it and bring it out and share it. And uh, sure enough, one came up. My grade school friend, uh, Gary, came back to Michigan for a visit. So Ann and I played host to Gary, his wife, and probably about 20 of my grade school friends. Um, so one thing leads to another, we end up in the bourbon room having a handful of tastings. And sure enough, somebody sees this bottle sitting in a box in my top shelf and asked about it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to bring it out. The bottle is called Booker's Small Batch. Um... I've had this, uh, like I said, for a while. Uh, If you don't know about Booker's, you can go to bookersbourbon.com. And what it is, they come out with three or four expressions every year. And by expressions, I mean just different uh, kind of recipes, different taste uh, bourbon. This one is called uh, 2020 as in the year-02. So it's the second release of 2020 and uh when you buy it this is this it's an expensive bottle it's for special occasions comes in a wood box and i opened up the wood box and inside of it is this little card it's a two sided little green card i'll I'll try and post it on my instagram and it tells all the stats about it It says 126.5 proof it's aged for six years three months and ten days the master distiller Booker No, from 1960 to 1992. It says, Batch Story. The second release of Booker's Bourbon 2020 collection is Booker's Batch 2020-02, called the Boston Batch. This batch is named after the production site where my father, Booker No, first started his distilling career. And it says, my father, this whole thing is written by Fred No. Um, and you remember from the last podcast, we talked about the collaborate, collaboration uh, uh, with uh, Shinji Fukukoyo and Fred No called Legend. Well, this is the, the fran- same Fred No from the Beam family. He's a seventh generation uh, master distiller. So let me read on. It says The distillery, now renamed Booker Noh Distillery, is located in the small community of Boston, Kentucky and was purchased by James B. Beam Distilling in the early 1950s as a second distilling location to increase production capability at the time. Because Boston was removed from the day-to-day of our flagship Claremont, Kentucky distillery, dad was able to experiment with whiskey and a bit more and truly master his craft and style as a distiller there. Some may say this is where he found his love of experimentation. If you ever wanted to find my dad, Boston is where he'd be. That plant was his life for more than 40 years. He hired a bunch of folks from the Boston area and made it like one big family over there. Mom always said, The Boston distillery was dad's first baby, and I was his second. I hope this latest batch of Booker's finds you in good spirits and that you enjoy it. Signed, Fred No Beam Family, 7th Generation Master Distiller. So I thought that was pretty interesting. You flip the card over, and it tells you the Master Distiller's notes. It says, this batch is made up of barrels from three different production dates and stored in four different rack houses. The breakdown of the barrel is as follows. This is pretty interesting. I'll read it. 11% of this uh, batch came from the third floor of a seven-story warehouse five, of seven-story warehouse five, 33% came from the fifth floor of nine-story warehouse G, 27% came from sixth floor of nine-story warehouse H, and 29% came from the fifth floor of seven-story warehouse Z. This will be a history-making batch of Booker's Bourbon since I selected this batch with the help of my son, 8th generation distiller No. The color is rich, light brown, that reminds me of the beautiful horses throughout Kentucky. The aroma contains vanilla, toasted nuts, and some hints of baking spices. The flavor is full and has a finish that can be enjoyed neat. We enjoyed tasting it and selecting the barrels on an unseasonably cool and rainy day. This batch is special to me since I created it with my son to carry on my father's legacy and his distillery location. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed selecting it. Signed, Fred No, Beam Family, 7th Generation. So that's pretty cool. And let's talk about the percentages and the, the rack houses they came from. So, say, for example, uh, 11% came from the third floor of a seven-story warehouse. So that tells you the sweet spot probably is not the first row, first floor, or the top floor of a seven-story warehouse, it's floor number three. And let's go on to, to the next one. says uh, 33% came from the fifth floor of a nine-story warehouse. Once again, right in the middle of a rack house. Nine stories. They got this from the fifth floor. The next batch came from 27% came from the sixth floor of a nine story warehouse, same thing right in the middle. And the last part says 29% from the fifth floor of a seven story. So not quite the middle, but the upper end, but either way, it's not the bottom floor and it's not the top floor. So I know I've mentioned to you guys before about sweet spots and rack houses. So here's a really good uh, illustration of that. So anyway, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna uh, pour me a little sip right here. Let's see what we can do. So when we tasted it the other night, a few people thought it was a little spicy. And you have to remember, like he said, when they tasted it or when they selected it, it was a cold day and it was rainy. And this one would probably warm you up a little bit at 126 proof. So when we taste this, um, I'm going to try and keep that in mind. It is uh, a little bit uh, hot because it's 126 proof. Let's take a sip. And so right across my tongue, I taste it in the back, almost like a cinnamon, definitely a little vanilla. The baking spices that they put on the card um, would be a good description. If you guys happen to see a bottle, usually you won't even see a bottle on the shelf. They're very hard to come by. I remember finding this one at Meyer. and when I looked on the top shelf, there was an empty spot with the price tag for this one. And I asked the gal, I said, hey, do you have any of this? She goes, oh yeah, I keep it in the back. I have one bottle left. Would you like it? So if you ever find one, that's what you might have to do. It was a $99 bottle. And like I said, it's for special occasions. And I had a special occasion to bring it out. Um, I think it's pretty good. I really like it. It's uh, a little bit hot because of the alcohol, but the clean finish, no burn. Uh, On my tongue, I taste it towards the back. And a lot of the baking spices is a real good description. So we're going to sip on this. Talk more about the podcast. Uh, So since I mentioned Gary... I mentioned my grade school friends, right? Let me tell you a little bit more about them. So I'm going to turn back the clock. Let's go back in time. I'm, I'm 50, oh boy, <laughs> 54. Uh, so let's turn back the clock to when I was 10 years old. Uh, this was the time my family, removed moved from Detroit. We lived down in Detroit proper and moved out to the fancy suburbs of Dearborn Heights. And back then it was considered uh, upscale to be out of Detroit, as far as I knew anyway, in my little world. But anyway. We, it was the intersections, if you were looking at a map, be the intersection of Telegraph Road and Warren, uh, west of Telegraph, north of Warren, and I remember my parents making a big deal about moving to the suburbs, and how nice our street was, because it had trees and everything, and if you wanted to Google my address, it was 7479 Colonial, have it burned in my head, as a matter of fact, so my new school is called Wallaceville, it's not there anymore now, it was bulldozed, and uh, there's a subdivision now, but I can remember my first day at Wallaceville, and I... Uh, <laughs> Back then we had a homeroom class and then throughout the day you'd go across the hall to the other classrooms for a different uh, uh, lesson or whatever was English or math or what have you and you'd end up at the end of the day back in your homeroom class. So I spent the most of the day at my homeroom class but there's a couple of classrooms uh, that you move throughout the day. And on my first day, I can remember I had to switch classes and go across the hall. I don't remember if it was English or math or what have you. And there wasn't enough desks. And I was the new student, right? I looked around the room. I could see every seat was full. The teacher, I remember her name was Mrs. Phillips, told me to sit in the back of the classroom at a table with two chairs in it. And I sat down kind of thinking I was in trouble because, you know, you're in the back of the class, you're at a table, or is it the side of the class? Either way, it was not a designated seat. So I kind of felt, it felt like you were in trouble, right? So there's two chairs and then the second chair was another kid. And I thought he was in trouble too. And he told me his name was John Capco. He was at my party the other day. And looking back, if someone would have told me that this blonde haired kid with glasses sitting in the chair across from me, (laughs) was going to be my one of my best friends for coming up 50 years now. Holy smokes. I I don't know if I'd ever believed it, right? I, I guess I wouldn't believe it. That was in fifth grade. And so that Year, I met a group of friends that I know to this day. It's Booger and Zab, Doob and Mickey and Lance, Terry, even my future wife, Anne. That was coming up 50 years ago. Holy smokes. A few years later, I'd meet a couple more good friends, Andy and Remus. And um, so here we are today, anyway. So a bunch of us sat down in the bourbon room. We shared some of those bookers and uh, I guess that's what I got. Bourbon, the, the bourbon was good, but being with my friends, was uh, it, it was great. It really was a lot of fun. I'm pretty lucky. So thank you guys for being my friend. Thank you for uh, listening to the podcast, too. Anyway, uh, let's get into our next segment. I'm going to take a sip, and we're going to talk about some more cool stuff. Hang on. So a couple weeks ago, I watched a documentary uh, called History. This was a two-night special about the rock band KISS. And before I go any further, let me put this part... I'm going to try and play this on the background of my new machine here. There you go. This is how we started off for KISS. You want the best. You got the best. Here we go. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. There you go. This is from live in Detroit, 1984. Found this on YouTube. And they are unmasked. (laughs) Not wearing any makeup. Pretty funny. There we go. You got to hear the beginning, right? Let's fade that out. There we go. Okay. So let's talk some more about this KISS documentary. Um, I loved it. It was cool. I'm not uh, in the KISS army or any big KISS fan, but I thought the, the entertainment value of this documentary was well worth watching. I liked it. Um, I'm not going to tell you uh, everything about it, but I'll hit some highlights. The The whole thing was narrated by uh, Gene Simmons, the bass player, and Paul Stanley, the lead singer. Um, it was really like a conversational thing. They were mostly... Um, Uh, just two guys sitting across from each other on a sofa telling their story. Uh, They told how they became musicians, how they met, um, gave some insight about growing up uh, Jewish in New York at the time. And another part I found interesting was the evolution of their stage costumes, how they were influenced by the New York Dolls. So if you Google New York Dolls, you're going to see they dressed uh, very much like women, effeminate, with heels and makeup, and it was something to get people's attention, something different, and it worked. So Paul and Jean... They took it in another direction and did the heels, did the hair, but then they added makeup, they said, from Woolworths. Sounds pretty funny. Just like clown makeup. You know, who would have thought? They went to Woolworth to do something different to separate themselves from everyone else. Another thing I found interesting was the record labels called Casablanca. Google that, too. Um, KISS was their first act that they signed, and Casablanca eventually went to sign the Village People and Donna Summer and these disco bands, right? And that really influenced KISS into making a disco song eventually, right? remember that? You probably don't... I don't know if you do, but I remember it. KISS did a disco song, and it ended up being one of their biggest hits. No kidding. No shit. Who'd have thought, right? KISS doing disco. So I could go on and on and on about the KISS documentary, like how Gene Simmons learned to breathe fire and all that. They talk about that. And... How they decided, like, who wears what design for their face makeup, right? And Peter, Peter Chris says, oh, I like cats, so I'm going to do a cat. It's so stupid, you can't even make this shit up. But it's true, right? Um, check it out. I won't give away anymore, but watch it. It's called Kiss Story on A&E. Um, you can even find it on AETV.com. You can do it on demand. Um, watch it on, uh, on your computer or whatever. But anyway, that's what I got for Kiss. Stay right there. We're going to... uh rock out to some more kiss on the way out let's see if i can do this there we go all right rack house ramblings be back in just a few minutes with the next segment okay rack house ramblings episode 37 i got a special guest coming up for you guys Uh, This is my buddy John Summerhill. John is uh, a local tradesperson, I shouldn't say tradesperson, bladesmith right here in southeast Michigan. Uh, I got to know John because I spent a day at his forge and made a knife. So uh, he's nice enough to uh, give me some of his time and share what he does with uh, me and with you guys. I think you're going to like it. This is one of my first remote interviews, cross my fingers, hopefully it goes good. Uh, so stay right there, and John will be right back uh, when I come back. Stay right there. Mm-hmm. Testing, one, two, three. I was a little nervous about this. this is my first time using this software <laughs> and this whole setup, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah, welcome to you know, Rackhouse Ramblings, my famous little podcast. Well, I shouldn't say famous. <laughs> it's, no, it's famous. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. I started doing this over a year ago, and I'm up to 37 episodes and oh, cool. I've had almost 2,000 downloads, which oh, I never wow. I never would have believed it, man. Never would have believed it. <laughs> That's great. But anyway, that aside, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. And so I'm starting out, like, I bragged to you, about you, to all my friends, right? How you helped me make the knife, and we did, we spent the day together and everything. Yeah. So for people who are listening, kind of why don't you to tell them who you are, what you do, and kind of what you're about. All right, well... um, (laughs) That's a lot, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: I'm a uh, a knife maker. I'm a bladesmith. So I uh, didn't have a long career in it. I've only about, you know, probably four years, four and a half years Uh into it. So um, I really got started probably five years ago or so. And I was... um, uh, I got a divorce had some changes in the job and things like that yep. and um uh was gifted a set of tools and really my my son was 8 or 9 and I wanted to start making him a few things Cool. So I you know started out by making simple things a lightsaber um, <laughs> you know I even graduated on making coin rings nice. and doing some things like that mm-hmm. so that's kind of the beginning of it Yep. Um in the process of all that one thing led to another and i started to um uh weld parts and do metal fabrication on motorcycles nice and uh that's the time when i started watching uh forged in fire
0: the the show on history channel Ah, made it made you a little famous huh (laughs) Uh, yeah that that really gave me a
1: huge jump start in this world
0: cool so from th- so from there, you know, you start making knives, right? And a lot of this is you're like everyone else, like me with woodwork, You're self-taught for the most part, right?
1: Yes, you know, <laughs> in today's world, you can um, become a pretty good amateur uh, through YouTube yeah. and the internet, and you know, just source out that that kind of uh, um, knowledge. So, I, I you know, watching the show, I just kind of asked myself could i make a knife mm-hmm. so i bought some uh mild steel which isn't really knife material
0: mm-hmm.
1: went out to my grill put some charcoal in it um grabbed a leaf blower oh and shit. just uh <laughs> you know started blowing air on that on those coals and yep. uh got it hot enough to heat the steel up yep and then just started hammering
0: you know yeah part of it is and and maybe you'll agree with me is You got to have the courage to be willing to make mistakes and to just get in there and try it, right? Yes. And I think, you know, two
1: two things happen. You're either going to continue on and really try to make it happen and Mm -hmm. get better, Mm -hmm. or you're just going to walk away. Yeah. You know, you're going to try it and find out that you don't like it. Um, I just. Uh, Fell in love with it and I I was not good at it either. Um, (laughs) But that's pretty frustrating.
0: Part of it too is you get through the frustration. You see someone, for me, it's like I see someone on the internet or on TV and and I think, you know what, I can do that. They're no different than me. They just, you know, are more, they persist and and that's kind of how I justify it in my head. I just, sometimes it gets me in trouble, but, (laughs) you know, sometimes you get in over your head, but that's part of learning for me. I can, you can talk about it all day long, but I have to really get my hands in there and you're the same way. You got to feel it. You got to do it and you got to, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's interactive, right?
1: Yes. And I, and I would say, um, failing is a huge part of growth. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I learn a a lot when I get lucky and do something right the first time.
0: Yeah. It's hard to duplicate. Hey, I was at your website, uh, BigDaddiesHammerworks.com, and you have this new thing up there. Uh, about being a journeyman bladesmith. What what does that mean? Yeah. What is that?
1: Well, I am pursuing uh, my master smith. Okay. Uh, and that's through the American Bladesmith society, society. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, so the first step is the journeyman smith. And uh, uh, you have to be a member for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, after two years, you can do your performance test. Um, and that really entails uh, making a knife and having a master smith oversee um, exactly what it sounds like. You have to perform with this knife, so you have to cut a one-inch natural uh, uh, hemp rope. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to cut through two two-by-fours, um, just chop through them until you get through them. Wow! It still has to be shaving sharp, mm-hmm. um, and then after that, um, they put it in a vise, about a third of the blade. And they bend it to a ninety degrees.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And they and it can't break. <laughs>
0: that makes you want to cry. So you actually have to demonstrate that you know you don't have you're not just talking the talk, you're walking the walk, right?
1: Right. It's not just about making something that looks good. It's mm-hmm. gotta be functional, it's gotta be strong.
0: Cool. And so how do you find some that so obviously you have to go to a master smith, right? Someone above that. Yes. And and they and you go to their forge and you demonstrate, it. is that kinda of how it goes?
1: Yes, I and I was fortunate enough to um, uh, use Jay Nielsen, uh, oh. who was one of the judges on Fortune Fire.
0: Nice, nice. <laughs> is he is he really that much of a dick, or is he cool?
1: No, no. He <laughs> he's actually a really really nice guy. That's and cool. He's the
0: only master
1: Smith Smith on that uh, on uh, on the show. Oh,
0: really? I thought Ben yeah. like Ben Abbott. I thought he's really. I thought he was one.
1: No, those wow. guys, uh, um Dave Baker and Ben Abbott are not Mastersmiths. Wow um, They've got high level skills. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, they just haven't gone through the the uh, process.
0: you know we're we keep we're talking about Forged in Fire for people that don't know it's on the History channel. Um, t- maybe you can tell us a little bit about what it's like. You don't have to go in big detail, but I know on the show they it's a one hour show, but that's impossible to right. do, you know, in one hour, right?
1: Right. Now, the the whole process is about five days Mm -hmm. um, when you fly in and fly out. Wow. Um, For the first couple rounds, if you make it to the home foraging, then there's extra days. Mm -hmm. You have to do, um, when I was on the show, it was five days. You had 45 hours, Mm -hmm. and then uh, now it's four days, 35 hours. Wow. And then you got to fly back, and then they test the um, finale blades.
0: That is a huge commitment in time for sure.
1: Yeah, but I, it, you know what? It, it was a great experience. That's I, cool. I, I, uh, you know, the judges were great. The whole experience, the crew. There's 30 people behind the scenes yeah. that make it come to life. How did you
0: and, get to be uh, a contestant? Do you just you know? I know you don't just call them up. Hey, I want to be on your show. What's the? How did the <laughs> well, process you know,
1: go? I kind of did that. Did you really? <laughs> So I had <laughs> one knife under my belt. That's I didn't really like know I what I was you. doing.
0: <laughs>
1: and so I kind—I reached out to somebody. I found an email online that was a couple years old uh-huh. and just, you know, kind of said to myself, I don't have anything to lose. Um, so I sent an email and just asked, how do I get on the show?
0: Nice.
1: Um, the very next day, uh, a lady got back to me and she said, hey, we're casting for the fifth and sixth season. Um, we're almost done. Send us pictures of uh, ten knives. So I had one.
0: You had one. So I,
1: you know, I, I kind of um, fudged my numbers and just said, well, you know, I sell them or I give them away. My inventory is really low right
0: now. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: And they kind of, you know, she said, uh, uh, well, you're not coming on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, so you better get those pictures, send it in. And so w- what I did was I went out and uh, made seven more knives in about a week and a half. Wow. Um, by hand with a coal forge.
0: Holy shit.
1: So, yeah, it was tough. Uh, but I did it. Almost broke my arm. <laughs> but uh, uh, after a few more months, they, they accepted that. And then I was on the show. Cool. What season least, were you on? I, I was on uh, season six. Episode nine. Okay, scene that's six. That's the Greek copus.
0: Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. What, what were you no, going to say? I, I, when, when I went on the show,
1: um, I only had about nine months experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm, uh, I'm the least experienced uh, bladesmith that's ever won the show. No
0: shit. Yeah. Wow. Well, that says something, though, about your talent, about your perseverance, right? To stick with it and to do it and some self-confidence I would think you know
1: yeah you know there is a lot of things that when w- w- that, that kind of goes into it there's a little bit of luck mm-hmm. there's no doubt about that I think there is some prep um, I didn't have any long-standing habits hmm so when I went on the show there's no um, you know like I'm only gonna do it like this mm-hmm. um, I knew that I needed to listen to the judges um, when they gave advice mm-hmm. if I was making it to the next round mm-hmm. um, and again, I'm a huge fan of the show, so you see that a lot on and the show. you know, people they
0: give a lot of judges. advice and a lot of people don't follow it. They really do. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it bugs me to this day when they're yeah. like, yeah, I don't have time to do that. I'm going to um, take care of this and that's going to be it.
0: They're telling you what to do right there and they don't yep. do it, you know. So when yeah. you were on the show, you, probably, you had less than one year experience. So now you've got a number of years under your belt. You're your journeyman bladesmith, right? Yep. Do you consider yourself, would you say you're more of a craftsman or more of an artist? Because I've seen your work and you do those flowers. To me, that was very artistic. But do you, do you consider yourself more of a craftsman or an artist?
1: You know, that's a great question. <laughs> I um, like
0: that one. That's one of my I, favorites. I, uh,
1: there's there's both. If, if you want to make something that is functional, mm-hmm. um, that to me is the craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Something that works the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um but in the knife world as in a lot of other worlds um you know that's not what attracts somebody to something initially mm-hmm. you know they want to see something that's beautiful that looks great and so I, I think where i've grown the most is in that artistic ability mm-hmm. and so i i don't um i don't work the same way that i did two years ago if i'm gonna make a knife i'll try to sit down and draw it out on paper yep um, That allows you to make changes without having to restart steel and do some things and make mistakes in the shop like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the flow of something, how it feels in your hand, how it cuts. For sure. You know, I those think are all different you, things.
0: I, I'm not, of course, not a bladesmith, but I am a woodworker and I make a lot of things. And I see in your work there's self expression and you yeah. can call it artistry or whatever. And one of the things I noticed is on your grip at the very end, you do that little hook part. To hold your hand in <laughs> yeah that's like one of your signature things but that i think that is so cool and that's the artistry right anyone i don't want to say anyone but many bladesmiths can make a blade but that little you know the the john summerhill signature grip or this or that i think that's definitely self-expression and shows some artistry without a doubt
1: yes and that and that's really where form and function meets art yep Yep. You know, because that's going to keep a knife in your hand when it flares out the back like that. Mm-hmm. And then if it looks good... Um, again, it draws people to that. People say, oh, that's really cool. That's great. I want one of those or, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) um,
0: (laughs) When I show, when when I show my knife to my friends, it's like, oh, I I brag about it. I really do. I like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be back to make another one. And speaking of that, so I've got people out there. I know right off the top of my head, there's three people that want to come with me next time or we'll do a couple of days or whatever, but What can people expect if they want to come out and spend the day with you at your Forge? Kind of walk us through the day, how it goes.
1: So I I want people to be here um, a little before we start. We always start at 8 in the morning. Yep. It's going to be a 9 to 11 hour day. Yep. Um, And depending on, you know, if I have two people in the shop. Um, it's always longer. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing Damascus, that's a longer day. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually do full tang knives, um, so we stay away from doing guards and yep. that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, but every now and then I'll do that. When someone brings in, you know, like an uh, an antler for handle, Oh, cool! You no, know, we'll try to do those things. Um, I even do sword classes. Those are two-day I classes. I saw that.
0: Holy smokes. That looks good. Yeah. Cool. You know, you say 9 to 11 hours. I can tell everyone out there listening that it doesn't feel like it because – it's a, to me, it's not a hard day. It's not an easy day, but it's um, more of a fun day. And time just – the whole day flew by for me.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, in, we break it up. We do lunch. Yeah. I know. always um, – you know, lunch is always on me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you come out, it's a, it's a pretty good experience it, overall. It, you and, know what uh,
0: I liked? I did not expect for you to have the um, hydraulic press – which I just, like, I, for yeah. me, I'm comparing everything to Forge and Fire because I don't know any better. But you had, like, a miniature setup of everything I saw on that show.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, and and when, when you do a knife in one day, yep. you know, with all the heat treating and you're making it from a block of steel, you really need to have a press. You need mm-hmm. to have a power hammer, something to move steel a little bit faster. We could do it in one day, mm-hmm. um, but I'd probably be in my grave. it's tough
0: yeah it was and I like the other part too is we did some hammering but not a lot of hammering and I really enjoyed being able to um once you gave me the steel blank and we kind of drew out the shape that that I wanted for a hunting knife I like that for me the whole thing you could do as little or as much as you want right right yeah
1: you know I've had people who have never um touched a tool in their life Mm -hmm. um and I've had people fly in to town and um, they've made a hundred knives. And so, you know, it runs the gamut. Yep. And so I, I I usually do with, a, with an inexperienced person mm-hmm. about half of the work. I do a lot of the grinding in yep. the afternoon. Yep. Um, you know, at that point when the knife starts to come alive, people want it to look as good as they can possibly make it. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, grinding is a skill. Yep. It's like anything. I'm glad you um, did that part.
0: <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean it, it's hard to do it. It, yeah. it took me a year to learn how to grind just basically.
0: It's by tu- it's by feel, it's by touch. You right. it's definitely takes some practice. So, um if somebody wants to get a hold of you, of course we talked about bigdaddyshammerworks.com, right? Your website. Yep,
1: you can contact me through that.
0: And how about is there an email if somebody wants to email you? How about do you do mind sure. giving there, that out?
1: There's one through my website. You can go through my personal uh, email, okay. which is
0: jrsummerhill mm-hmm. at gmail.com. I'm writing it down as you say it. That helps me okay. remember it. But cool. I really appreciate it, John. Is there anything else you want to tell people? Anything new coming down the pipe for you? Um, you know, I, uh, I've got a lot of things happening. <laughs> hey, I saw my a truck business. on your Instagram. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what? We just, <laughs> we just
1: bought a nice 62... <laughs> ford f100 nice it is so much fun where'd you
0: find that at
1: uh you know we got it up in flushing uh-huh. actually cool so got a great deal from a guy named kevin Shout out to <laughs> Kevin, great dude
0: that is a sweet ride i can't wait to see it you put the uh, i saw the tailgate you're gonna do some more work on it uh
1: you know what yes we're putting a headliner cool.
0: right now cool
1: um just little things it runs great cool um, We we have a lot of fun in it
0: Cool. And you, I, I interrupted you again. I'm terrible at that. You're going to do your master, Smith? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah.
1: So I'll be working toward that. In in cool. two years, I can test for that. And it's the same thing. The other half of testing for journeyman Smith mm-hmm. was I had to make five um, uh, presentation knives. And so they were judging fit and finish. And so wow. that was the second half of my test. And I was fortunate enough to pass that. Um, I'll have to do the same thing for the master smith. You have to do a performance test, and then I'll have to make five knives um, and have them judged by master smiths. Damn.
0: Well, I guess I'm going to come out and see you again. Next time I want to do a, a chef's knife, and I probably want to bring my oh, yeah. own wood from my handle. I got a tree I cut down while I was up north, has a little sentimental value. And yeah. w- are you, like, you're booked up. I imagine you're probably booked up pretty busy for the, next, for the rest of the summer, huh?
1: Oh, oh yeah, I'm I'm um, booking into October now.
0: Okay, that's what I want to know. So for anyone listening, wants to go with me, I've got a few buddies out there, reach out to me. <laughs> and for you, John, I want to say thanks a million. When I, I'm going to publish this probably uh, tonight or tomorrow, and I'm going to send you a link yeah. so you can uh, listen to it yourself, man. I really appreciate cool. it. You be safe. Awesome. You take care, and I will, uh, I'll be texting you probably later today or tomorrow.
1: All right, great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate thanks. it. See you, man. All right, have a great day.
0: Bye-bye. So there you have it, Rackhouse Ramblings. Uh, My buddy, John Summerhill, really cool guy. Uh, And I mean, if anyone wants to go make a knife with me, I'm going to go again. John's great to work with. He's in Sterling Heights over near, uh, what was it, M59 and Mound Road. Uh, It's a full day. It's a fun day. Uh, Check out his website too, uh, BigDaddiesHammerworks.com. And I think that's all I got for today. Rackhouse Rambling is going to wrap up. Thanks for listening. You guys are the best. Get you some bookers. Give it a try. And uh, we will see you next week. Take care.